You are listening to the Equip Podcast. This weekly course seeks to equip our church, and we pray it can help you as well. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. So as we're looking uh, tonight, as I was thinking about how do we conclude this deal with uh, applying the Sermon on the Mount, I want to talk about how to read the entire Bible, okay? We probably won't do it by the end of this session tonight, uh, but uh, why this is important is uh, as we looked at in the sermon today that Jesus taught the necessity of obedience to his words, but we cannot apply them if we don't first study them. Make sense? So it's more than just studying them, knowing them, whatnot, but if you don't study them, if you don't know them, then you can't apply them. It's got to start first and knowing something to do. So when I was trying to look at, okay, how do I, last week, Gloria decided that she said, um, I said, what do you want for your birthday? Any meal that you want? She goes, I want you to cook grilled burgers for me. I said, I can do it, okay? And so I've, I've been fine with cooking burgers and whatnot. I can do that fine, but I was like, I just really want them to taste a little, a little bit better and whatnot or do some extra stuff to it. When you start going into the, the World Wide Web and start asking for how to marinate burgers and do all kinds of stuff, you can get in all kinds of stuff, you know? I mean, it gets mind-boggling. I had so much stuff going on. I had marinade. I had some kind of rub on it. We had wood chips smoking, you know, all kinds of stuff, right? I mean, I, that's probably why I'm hoarse right now because I had so much smoke blowing out. But it's one thing, like, to apply it, it's great because, was it good? Was it a pretty good burger? Okay, thank you very much. Um, she would say it's fine anyway, but I'll just even say, I'm typically hard on my, my food. This is a good burger, okay? It was really good. And, and so one thing to apply it, but you, you have to first at least know it, right? You have to, someone has to teach, you have to read it, you have to discern it and unpack it, and then you know exactly what to do. So this is why I want us to get to this. Um, if you've got your um, copy of the scriptures, I want, I want you to turn to Ezra chapter 7. We're going to be there in just a little bit. Um, Ezra chapter 7, and we're going to be talking about how to read the entire Bible. And then as we read the Bible, it's going to help us to know how to actually study it and apply it into our own lives. And, and so this is why it is so very important. Uh, I, I've told this story before. But it, it's, it's worth repeating in the sense of that um, I remember in college someone asking me if I believed all the Bible. And I said, of course I believe it. They said, you believe all of it? I said, I believe every bit of it. They said, really? You believe all the Bible? I'm like, I believe the maps in the back. You know, like I believe all of it. And then they asked me this question. They said, have you read all the Bible? At that point, I could not say that I had. I tried to. I'd started numerous times. And I kept quitting in Leviticus, and then I'd go back to reading James or Philippians or something, and I just wouldn't be consistent. So, And then he asked me this question. He said, so you mean to tell me that you're basing your entire life on a book that you have not read yet? And I said, challenge accepted, okay? So I decided that I was going to work my way through the Scriptures. Now, here's what you have to know about this, is that if you decide you're going to read the Scriptures, and you start at the very beginning, which is a very good place to start, um, typically so, you are interjecting yourself in, in a work that is 66 books long, but you start off in some of the most difficult sections of the entire book right from the get-go. And that's why many people quit. Because Genesis is interesting at the first, then it gets really dysfunctional, makes you feel better about your family if you continue to read what happens to everybody in there. Exodus is kind of exciting, the first half of it. Then it starts getting into some laws. Okay, we can deal with that. Then it starts getting into what type of fabric the tabernacle needs to be, and you kind of lose a little bit of momentum, okay? Then you get into Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and it's rule after rule after name after name, and you just kind of lose momentum a little bit. Now, when you start understanding the big picture of the Bible, that's when those sections can be enjoyable. 
but sometimes it's hard to know where to start. And so I would say that a goal for every single person, something that we've been talking about here, is as a goal that every middle schooler at this church, I would love to say that every middle schooler has read the New Testament before they finish the eighth grade. Okay? They've read Matthew through Revelation. By the time they finish high school, you know what would be a good goal for them to say? For the entire Bible. I have read the entire thing, right, at some way or the other. And so some of you would say, well, I'm not in high school or middle school. What does that mean for me? A goal should be for you to work your way through Scripture um, and to make sure that you say, I know all of this. And, and so let's, let's talk about that why, um, why reading the Bible is critically important. The first thing is this. Reading the entire Bible helps us know God better, okay? Reading the entire Bible helps us know God better. If God decided to write to us in a book to tell us about himself and about ourselves, about the world, and about how we are to live, the more that we read about him, the better that we actually can know him. You cannot love a God that you do not know. You cannot follow a God if you don't know his direction. And within his word, he gives us his identity, and he also gives us his direction. And this is why it's so important. So when we read the entire Bible, it helps us know who God is at a better level. Number two, reading the entire Bible helps us understand our role in God's story. So we understand it this way, that when we start reading the Bible, the entire Bible, it helps us understand our role in God's story. So um, give you a picture of how that works. There is a church planting network, a, a network that helps people plant churches all across the world, and they have named themselves the Acts 29 Church Planting Network. Okay, you go, why Acts 29? Because you know how many chapters there are in the book of Acts? 28. And they're saying our role in the story is to pick up where the book of Acts kind of stopped and we're continuing to carry this church planting movement that was happening in Acts. Like our role is to continue in that pattern. We're not doing something different. We're just following in line with that. And so when you look at it that way, when we read Scripture, you read the Old Testament, it helps us understand. So if you read some of the Old Testament laws that seem overwhelming and you go, ooh, why do I have to read this? It gives you an appreciation to know, I don't have to do all those things, right? Any of you ever had that person in your life that told you about that when they went to school, they had to walk uphill both ways in the snow, barefoot, or whatever it is, right? Okay? And when they tell you, how many of you have actually told your kids or grandkids that story? Okay? Um, when you say that to someone, or when you hear that from someone, what it's trying to get you to do is to appreciate how easy you have it, okay? Or how good you have it. You think this is difficult? Well, you just wait. You know, and, and there can be that sense. Uh, I was talking to a North Greenville student last week, and they said, when you were here, the cafeteria went here. Where did you eat? We said, we ate that building. They're like, oh my goodness. I was like, yeah, it's pretty rough. Okay, like it makes you feel better about where things are. When I read the entirety of Scripture, and I know my role in it, and when I read Leviticus and know that I don't have to do all those things because Jesus fulfilled them all, it helps me understand my role in God's story better. When I read the book of Acts, and as they were moving through disciple to disciple to church plant after church plant, it helps me understand my role in God's story better. And it also helps me know this. I'm not the center of this book. I'm not the, I'm not the, the main character in it. The main character in this book is God. Unashamedly, God. Number three... Reading the entire Bible provides the larger storyline essential for comprehension. Reading the entire Bible provides the larger storyline that is essential for comprehension. Now, when most of us began learning the scriptures, we learned it and hearing this story and this story and this story and this story, and they're all very detached from one another, right? In fact, I want you to think about what are some of the first stories that we teach kids from the Bible? 
Okay, I want you to think about one that you think of. Like, what's a story we typically, a Bible story that we typically teach kids from the Bible? What's one that comes to your mind? Noah's Ark. Okay, another one. David and Goliath. Jesus was born. Jonah. Daniel and Lions Den. Okay, I think with this, we've got three out of five that have to do with animals. See a common theme here, right? Keep kids' attention. Let's talk about the animals, okay? Noah's in the ark. Really cute with the animals over the boat. We don't think about how God was drowning all the rest of the animals at the time. But that's another part of the story that we have to kind of embrace, right? Uh, Jonah and the fish, you know, we, we've got uh, Daniel and the lion's den. We, David and Goliath is a giant. It's war. It's, okay, Jesus' birth. It's, it's a holiday time. We teach these. We teach them isolated from one another, right? We teach them completely isolated from one another, and it's to a detriment to, to our own souls to, to think about it this way, that Noah's ark was all about that God had put up with sin for so long that he was sending a warning to remind him he won't put up with it for so long. When, uh, look next in the line that you guys mentioned, if, if we, we get to David and Goliath, David was this young boy who said, I'm not going to listen to this giant defame my God. I'm going to stand up because I know that God inside me, that this is a battle about him. And so, yes, it was about the nation of Israel, Yes, it was about, but it was more about God's reputation than anything. And as that continues to go on, you've got prophets like Jonah who comes along trying to warn other nations so that they would follow God when all these international wars are going on and how this kind of plays out. And Jonah is called to go be a missionary to a people he hates. And God's still saying, I still love them. And then when you get to Daniel and the lion's den, it's because God sent Daniel as a missionary to Babylon and say, these people need to know about me, and they're not going to come over here asking you. I'm going to send you over there to them. And when we get to Jesus being born, he is the ultimate missionary who leaves his home in heaven to come on a rescue mission on earth. And you see how these five stories, they're interactive. They really work together. But unless you understand all the different complexities of it, you, you miss it. And Noah's ark turns into a cute story about God saving some animals and a few people. Not really thinking about how harsh and hard to swallow that story really is uh jonah and the fish becomes kind of a silly story and it really what it is is a story of a prophet who was racist and unloving and uncompassionate and god saying you will love other people because i do as well if we see david and goliath as here's this young boy who is brave you know willing to fight a giant no 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 this is about god's name being known among the nations David even said it. 1 Samuel chapter 17, I think it's verse 47. I'm about to take off your head, Goliath, so that all the peoples may know that there is a God in Israel. I want you to know that what I'm about to do right now is for his name so that you would know it. It's all this missionary heart. So when you understand the whole big picture of the Bible, it allows you to take those individual stories and those individual people and understand it in a much better way. Number four, reading the entire Bible creates the deeper understanding of the person and work of who? Jesus. When you read the entire Bible, it creates a deeper understanding of the person and work of Jesus. So when you see this played out, um, it, it's an incredible story. So to so give you an example, um, when Jesus died on the cross, he's on the outskirts of Jerusalem, right? Okay. Does anybody remember what happened in the temple the moment that Jesus breathed his last? The veil in the temple was torn, right? Now, if you start unpacking all the way back in the Old Testament, I was talking about in Exodus when they talk about the threads and the fabric and whatnot. You know the seamstress was told to weave in that fabric that that veil in the temple would ultimately be cascaded? 
It had a group of these angelic beings called the cherubim on there. Okay? You go, what's the big deal there? God said, when you put that big fabric up, separating the people from the holy of holies where God's presence is, you put these angelic beings there as the, the tapestry that separates them. Why is that important? Because all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned and God kicked them out of the garden, he put somebody else at that garden spot. He was what? Cherubim. With a flaming sword saying, you are not welcome in the presence of God anymore unless someone makes a sacrifice to get you here. Throughout the entire scripture, whenever cherubim are mentioned, they're put into the fabric of separating the people from God because of their sin. And when Jesus dies on the cross, that veil in the temple is torn in two, and he disarms the cherubim. The cherubim lays down his sword, and God is saying, welcome back into the Garden of Eden again. You can walk with me now. So we understand that. We understand the whole complexity of God's truth being under, throughout all the way back from Genesis chapter 3. I mean, think about it this way. Um, when it says that Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they felt shameful. They realized that they were naked, and what did they do? They, they covered up, right? Put some, fig, you know, some leaves and whatnot, so we're wrapping them up. So we, we feel dirty now. We feel ashamed. We've got to cover up. And God sees them there, and, and, he, and he, he confronts them in their sin, and then he casts them out of the garden. But he says, you can't walk out of the garden in those clothes. I'm going to give you some new ones. What were the clothes? It says, and he clothed them, Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, he clothed them in garments of skin. And to have garments of skin implies something had to happen, right? Something died. To cover up their shame, something had to die. Pointing them out of the garden. What's the one thing that can really remove our shame? Jesus Christ dies on our place and covers us in his righteousness. You you go through the Old Testament, you see this picture? I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but this one's blowing my mind. Um, I've been studying it a little bit more recently. But when the cherubim is placed on the Garden of Eden, you know where it says that he places that cherubim? At the east side of the Garden of Eden. Okay, what's the big deal? Because when Cain sins and kills his brother, guess where he travels? East. And when Lot settles in a horrible place, guess where he goes? East. And every time throughout the pages of Genesis, whenever people start moving away from God, they just sort of throw in there, oh, and he moved eastward. He moved eastward. He moved eastward. They're moving further and further away from the presence of God. Throughout the narrative of Scripture, sin and disobedience moving further and further away. So they put up a tabernacle so that they can invite themselves to come back into the presence of God. And you know where God says, hey, don't put the door anywhere on this. Specific spot, I want you to put that door on the east side. Drifting, 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 drifting. And the moment that you repent and come back, the door's open for you. Right there. You don't have to walk around. You don't have to go through it. No, no, no. You're drifting, 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 drifting. But when you wake up to the fact of, I want to be back in the presence of God, and you repent, which means turn around, there's the door. Wide open for you. Come on back in. Come on back in. God's interweaving all these different themes throughout all of Scripture to help us understand and point us to the work of Jesus. We also see this, that reading the entire Bible navigates challenging issues since Scripture interprets Scripture, okay? A theme that's really important for anybody who really wants to understand Scripture is this. You need to know that Scripture interprets Scripture. So if you ever come to a place that's difficult to understand, you need to know that if it's an isolated thought, you probably need to make sure that you understand the totality of what God is teaching throughout His Word. Take the book of Romans, for example. Romans is... 
probably the greatest theological treatise that's ever been given to mankind. It's 16 chapters, and it's wonderful and beautiful, and there's also some moments that will make your head hurt if you read it. Challenging. And yet, when Paul wrote that, he wrote it to a specific church at a specific time, and it does not contain every single element of what Paul thought about God. But it's limited, right? So there are certain parts where you go, wait a minute, but what about that? And you open it up and see the big picture of Scripture. It helps you interpret all those things to make sure that all of it finds their place. Reading the entire Bible will lead you to every other worthwhile belief and behavior. Why do I encourage people to read the Bible? Because if you want to pray, if you read the Bible, it's going to talk about prayer. If you feel like, you know what I need to work on? I need to work on marriage. If you read the Bible, you're going to get around to marriage. You know what I need to do? I need to address my finances. Read the Bible. He's going to say something about your money, okay? So, so if you read the Scripture, every worthwhile belief, what you think about, and every worthwhile behavior, what you can do is contained within the pages of Scripture. So the more that we commit ourselves to reading it, the more that we're going to understand it. And reading the entire Bible eliminates the awkward exchange when you were asked about it, right? Like what I had that awkward exchange. You base your entire life on a book you've never read? Interesting, right? So when someone says, do you believe the entire Bible, you can say, yes, I have. Now, for anybody here who goes, man, I'm, I'm 40 years older, I'm 70 years older, and I've never read the entire Bible, don't let Satan and his accusing mouth get in your ear saying, by now you should have done this, what's wrong with you, blah, 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 or all the excuses we come up with, you say, no, no, I, I'm going to do what I can no matter what stage of life I'm in. And so if you're going to do that, here's how I would encourage you how to start reading the Bible. In Ezra chapter 7, I love this passage of Scripture. Because Ezra is a part of a group of people trying to restore uh, God's ways among a nation that has drifted very far from it. And I want to go back to verse number 6. Um, it says this, This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. So this is after a group of exiles. They're leaving Babylon, going back to Israel, trying to reestablish the land, reestablish the religion. Verse 7, it talks about they went up from Jerusalem and going out all the different times. Uh, and go down to verse uh, number 9. From the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem. For the good hand of his God was on him. I'll just stop there. You ever make it anywhere in your life, it's because God's good hand was on you to get you there. You know, Just a reminder, if you made it, it's because he's been watching over you. And then verse 10, if I, if I could think of a Bible verse that epitomizes for me what I wish my Bible reading was like. It's verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. If you've ever wanted an example of why we read the Bible, it's there in verse 10. I love this because for anybody here who's ever thought, well, gosh, I'm you know, when I read the Bible, am I supposed to be reading it for myself? Or am I supposed to be reading it for other people? Or what if I don't have the desire to do it? In this, in this verse, all of it's contained. The first thing that he really classifies there is to devote. Um, it says there that he set his what? He set his heart to do something. He devoted himself to it. And so there is this point that in Scripture, when you come to that, start reading your Bible, you have to make up your mind that you are going to devote yourself to read God's Word intentionally. It's not going to happen by accident, folks. Tonight, you can go home and you can binge watch something. You can get in some kind of thing or you can decide, I'm going to read God's Word. You wake up in the morning, you can scroll on social media or you can open up God's Word. You're going to have to, what Ezra said, he set his heart. Notice this. 
he did not say he wait till his heart felt like it. Right? He set his heart. He, de- he decided, I'm going to do this. And folks, um, if you wait around until you feel like reading the Bible, you may never get around to it. Every time I've ever tried to do this, it's always the thing like, you know what, I just, uh And a lot of people say, I, I, I'm not good at reading or I don't enjoy reading. And some people that I've known that said, I even struggle with reading. And I go, well, could you ever listen to the audio Bible? There's plenty of things you can find on somebody's phone and just listen to the Bible being read to you. But you have to make up your mind that you're going to do this. You have to say, this is worthwhile for me. To be able to get into God's Word, I have to set my mind to do it. Folks, do you get healthy by accident? No. In fact, if we drift anyway, we do not drift towards health, okay? We drift away from health. The same way in any kind of worthwhile exercise or any kind of way in our life, we don't drift towards spiritual health. We drift away from it. Ezra said he set his heart. And then what did he set his heart to? To study. That's the second thing there, study. Focus on making progress in your knowledge of the Word by consistent study. So Ezra set his heart to do what? To study the law of the Lord. He made up his mind, I'm going to do this, and then he got studying. He says, I want to focus on making progress. Um, you can write beside that little section there, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. That verse has always been so encouraging to me. Because Paul told his son in the faith that he's been discipling Timothy. He says these, wor- these words to Timothy. He says, Timothy, do your best to study the word. He did not say, do my best. Do your mama's best. Do your grandmama's best. Do your past. He goes, do your best. Folks, um, with the mental faculties that God has given you, I think he's calling you do your best. And then he says this, do your best to show yourself as a workman who is unashamed to handle the word of God accurately. So I'm going to do what I can to work really hard at studying this word so that I can understand it to the best of my ability. Um, I think about my friend Omar who lives in um, Africa who has a fourth grade education and has learned four different languages on his own and has become a student of God's word that he knows God's word so very well. I can think about a friend of mine who did not grow up in church and felt so behind the ball when he started uh, following Jesus but he said, I'm going to start following God's word and when when he started decided he wanted to read and study God's word he was a new dad. And I said to him, I said, hey, um, so I want you to start reading God's Word. He says, I only feel like I have five minutes in the day to really do it. And I said, take that five minutes and study that. Don't go wait around until you got 30 minutes. If you got five minutes, then take five minutes and do what you can with that five minutes. He even said at one point, he goes, the best I can do is I can listen to the Bible on my commute to work for 15 minutes. That's better than nothing, folks. It's better than nothing. So do what you can to study. You make up a mind, and I'm going to make progress, Okay. Folks, you're not going to just read one day and go, oh, I'm a Bible scholar, right? I'm making progress. I'm systematically getting there to the knowledge of the Word by consistent study. Number three, apply. Study until you find something specific you need to apply in your own life, okay? This, this is what I love about Ezra. He made up his mind. He devoted himself. He said, I'm going to study, and I'm going to study it to do what? To apply it. He says, Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it. I love the simplicity of Ezra. Why are you studying the the, the law of the Lord? So you can impress everybody? No, I'm studying it so I can apply it. That's the goal. 
I want to know God's word. So Jack, exactly what we saw Jesus say in the passage today. I want you to hear these words and do them. That's when you build your house on the rock. You're not just hearing the word and moving on from it. You're hearing the word and you're actually doing it. You're applying it in your own life. There's a lot of different Bible reading plans that you can look at, but let me just tell you something. One of the best ways to read the Bible that I've done before, keep reading until you find something to do with it. Sometimes I have read one verse and I go, well, there goes my week. <laughs> I know exactly what i got to work on. And sometimes I might have to read three chapters and I go, now I know exactly what to do. A lot of times we don't put it into application and that's why we forget about what it was. We don't remember, right? And so reading until you find something to apply in your own life. And then number four, look again what he says in verse 10. Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach. To teach his statutes and rules in, Israel's, uh, in Israel. So what was Ezra's goal in the, all of this? It was to share what he was learning with somebody else. So commit to disciple others by teaching them what you specifically have learned. So, folks, here's a challenge I want to give you. If you ever want to take Bible reading seriously, when you finish reading the Bible that day, you are praying to say, who can I share with today what I've learned? It's one person. One person. God, is there somebody here today that I'm going to come into contact with that I'm going to be... I'm going to have read and studied and applied something specifically they're going through. Um, I can remember a few uh, weeks ago I was talking with someone, and, and the psalm I had prayed that morning was from Psalm 62, verse number 8, where it says, um, Trust in God at all times, pour out your heart before him. And I came up with somebody who was just struggling and just going, oh, I just feel like I'm just venting, but I, I just want to honestly lay my complaints before the Lord, but I don't feel like that's right. And I'm going, hey. I read a verse this morning, and I prayed this verse, and it's saying, pour out your heart before the Lord. And I just want to encourage you in what I set my heart to study the Word. I applied it this morning, and I want to share this and teach it to you right now. It's okay for you to pour out your heart before Him and be gut-level honest. He knows what you're thinking anyway. Just lay it out there. He's big. He can handle it, okay? And, and so to be able to take what you're learning and share it. Folks, I have known this, that even, um, I guess I've been in ministry now uh, since I graduated college, I guess about 18 years or so. And I know that the most fruitful times of my ministry is when my personal study is that my ministry is coming from the overflow of that. There are a lot of guys that sometimes go, I don't know what to teach. I don't know what to study. I, I mentioned this, I, I think maybe um, here at the church, but, but there was a pastor that came here um, a few years ago that was on a, um, a, a vacation day. He was vacationing in Greenville, just taking the weekend off, and he popped into our services and came up to me after the service and introduced himself to me. And then on Monday he emailed me and he said, hey, is there any way that you will allow me to take your sermon outlines and preach them? And I, I said, what do you mean? He said, I just like the way that you, you break things down and I think it helped my church out, and I'd pay weekly for them if you would just give me your outlines and I could just preach them in my context. My first thought was, how much are you going to pay me? But I didn't go that way, okay? I started just thinking. I was just like, um, just, just, just considering, okay, right? But this is what I thought. Do I want some pastor in another state regurgitating something that the Lord is teaching me versus him getting into the Word himself? It would be a disservice to his congregation if all he's doing is reading somebody else and implying that there. Now, look, we all learn from other people. I get that. I have had a, I've known of a pastor who got fired from his church. You know why? Because one day somebody was listening to his sermon series and thinking, I feel like I've heard this before and asking it to bounce it. 
do you feel like he's preached this before? No, I just, I know I've heard this before. They put out their Max Licato book and realized what they were doing. Chapter by chapter by chapter by chapter, illustration after illustration. The guy's just preaching chapters Max Licato. Hey, he writes great. He's beautiful kind of stuff, the way he puts stuff out. But folks, the overflow of what you're learning is what is so beneficial. And to say, I learned this. I set my heart, and I studied it, and I applied it in my life, and I want to share it with you. That is when the most fruitful happens in my life, and I'd also say it probably happens in yours. Uh, as, as you think through it, there are uh, 1,100, and it says 80 there, but there's 1,189 chapters in the Bible, okay? It's a lot of Scripture, okay? So if you think about it, that's overwhelming to look at. But to break down, if I was going to read the entire Bible for how Ezra said it, I'm going to set my heart that one day I'm going to read the entire Bible. and I'm going to So I'm going to set my heart to do it. I'm going to study it. And then as I'm studying it, I'm going to be applying it. And then I'm going to share with others what I'm learning. And then I can, I can encourage other people to say, oh, I, waste, you know, I waited for 30 years of my life before I read the entire Bible. But, oh, I'm so glad I did it. You can do it too. I struggled through those sections. But you can make it. However you do that, there's 1,189 chapters in the Bible. Now, if you're overwhelmed by that, be overwhelmed by two ways. That's a lot of information, right? Ooh, there's some difficult sections in Scripture. But then also... There's 1,189 chapters that talks about the glory of our God. That's a lot of content. Some good stuff. I want as much source material as I can possibly find. So if you were to take it and say, I want to read the entire Bible, and you said one chapter a day, it would take you about three years to do it. Okay? So you decided, I'm going to read one chapter a day. It would take you three years to pull that off. So... You math scholars can probably figure this out. If you read three chapters a day, how, how soon could you do it? One year. Three chapters a day, you can read through the entire Bible in one year. So you start off Genesis 1 through 3, and then you go chapters 4 through 6, and then you do 7 through 9, and you just keep on moving. Now let me go ahead and tell you this. If you start a Bible reading plan tomorrow, and you read Genesis 1 through 3, and you're like, oh, I made it on Monday, and then you completely bomb on Tuesday, do not give up. Do not try to read six chapters the next day. Just pick it up where you left off and keep moving. Don't let shame or guilt or the enemy come in your ear and tell you by now you should have been here and you're so just just stop. Just keep moving. Um, if you miss a meal, do you give up eating altogether? No. You just go to the pantry the next time you can, right? When you, when, if you miss a meal, do you double up? Well, maybe sometimes we do. We, should you double up, right? Okay. No, you probably should just eat what you need to and just continue to move forward. If you read six and a half chapters a day, by the way, I'm going to go into some areas now that I do not recommend. I'm just going to give you this to, to flex some muscles just so you at least know what this could be. Six and a half chapters a day, you can read the Bible in six months. Six months. If you go at something that is 13, chapters a day you can read the entire Bible in three months this is where I'll be honest with you I have done this plan with a group of guys you get one day behind oh you are messed up okay just want to let you know and then I have known people who decided that they wanted to do 40 chapters a day which means that you can read the Bible in one month now 40 chapters a day means this you got about two to three hours of leisure time every single day for the next month okay and you might have that in your life not a lot of people do, but I give that as an example to say. All right, now, let, let's be real. How many of you would like to start off with 40 chapters a day? Anybody? Okay. 
I would not. I would not recommend that to almost anyone in my life. I have never done that plan. I don't know if I will ever do that plan. Maybe I will one day, but that seems like a lot, and it seems like you're moving kind of quickly. What's the danger, by the way, if you read too much in one day? Yeah, you don't remember it. You're just moving past it, right? You're just trying to get done and say, check it off, right? Um, I'll also say this. There's a danger in reading too much. I think sometimes there is a danger in reading too little. Um, if, if you're just reading a verse a day, whether it's a devotion or something on your app, it's like you're trying to fill your soul with Tic Tacs, right? I mean, I guess you can live off of it for a little while, but eventually you're going to get hungry, okay? And like, you, you need a little bit more than a spiritual Tic Tac. You, you need a meal, right? You don't need to gorge yourself, but you don't need a little bit. So um, 40 chapters a day is probably a little too much. 13 is a little bit too much. Honestly, one chapter is a, is a good goal. Especially if you've never done that. I've known too many people who've done nothing and decide they're going to jump all the way in, and I do not recommend that. I had a guy who felt so bad about that he, was, he had not been reading Scripture. He said, Trav, I'm going to read 13 chapters a day, and I'm going to read through the Bible in three months. I said, how much have you been reading up to this point? I haven't read consistently in, I don't know, two years. I said, do not do this reading plan whatsoever. No, I'm going to do it. I'm going to set it all. I said, please, do not do it, because the moment he goes, I'm going to have it done by Easter. I've got it going marked off, Right? One year, one day off. Not you're not 13 chapters. You're 26 chapters. Then you're 39. You see how this gets out of hand really quick. I don't recommend that. So what's a realistic goal for you to have? But I'll also say if you don't have a goal, guess what? You're probably not going to hit it. You're not going to hit it. So so this is a realistic thing to say. If I wanted to read through the Bible in three years, one chapter a day, or maybe three chapters a day in one year, I want you to turn your page over to the back side, and this is a great little checklist. I love giving out to people. Um, this is something that I gave my daughter Gloria um, earlier this year. And she was talking about you know, where she wanted to read the Bible. And she said that uh, her gospel group leader, as we were going through the gospel project, said, hey, we're going to be studying 1 Peter this week. I would encourage some of y'all to, to read 1 Peter chapter 1 before we get here. And she read 1 Peter chapter 1 on Monday, and I came home and she said, Daddy, you won't believe what I did today. I said, what did you believe? I read 1 Peter chapter 1. I said, what did you think? She goes, it blew my mind what Taylor said about Jesus. It was so good. I never had heard some of those things that he said. I said, oh, well, guess what? Chapter 2 gets even better. You're, oh, really? And then guess what? She read one chapter every day, Monday through Friday, and she read through 1 Peter. Now, if you go to the right column of this checklist all the way towards the bottom, you'll see 1 Peter. Five chapters. It's a good book to read in a week. This is where I would encourage some of you a Bible reading checklist. Um, I would say this. For some of you who've never read the scriptures, and this, someone has probably never said it this way to you, and I don't know anybody else who thinks this way, but I'm just going to tell you, at least in my practice, when I talk to people, I would not encourage you to start in Genesis and in Revelation. You know what I encourage you to do? I'd encourage you to take this checklist and start taking bite-sized, manageable pieces by books. And I'd work your way through the entirety of Scripture. At the second or third pass, read through the Bible, Genesis through Revelation. At another pass, I want to tell you there's a great, great Bible reading plan I love. It's called the Chronological Bible Reading Plan. Because you know what? Your Bible, the way it's not, is not chronological. So, like, if you look at Genesis right here, and if you go to Genesis 1 through 11, if you look chronologically, you know the next chapter of Scripture you'd read after chapter 11? Job chapter 1. All over here. So the books are, are kind of categorized by different type of genres. And so what this book does is, give me an example, 
Um, David in Psalm 51 gives this wonderful psalm of repentance. Have mercy on God uh, according to my sins. Blot out my transgressions. What's incredible to do is when you read that right after he wrote it, and he wrote it right after he sinned with Bathsheba. So in this plan, you read about his sin in Bathsheba, and then you read the psalm that he wrote right after it. It's incredible. It's a little bit more flip the page, but that's a wonderful plan. But this is what I would encourage people to do. It's what I encourage Glory to do. All right, you read 1 Peter. Now where do you want to go? She said, well, there's a lot of books in here that only have like one or two chapters. I said, start there. So I got home one day. She said, Dad, I read Jude, Second and Third John, and Obadiah. They all got in Philemon. She goes, they all got one chapter. I read five books, you know, and I said, hey, that's awesome. Now what? Now is maybe start reading something a little bit larger. And I think for you guys, um, it's kind of like, you know, joking around, but when, um, when you decide to say if you were going to do the Piedmont Women's Center 5K, you know what one of the worst things you can ever do is not run at all and then decide to run a 5K. You're going to die, okay? You, you haven't run in years or ever at all, and then you run 3.2 miles, you can do damage to yourself. Trying to go 0 to 60 in a Bible reading plan can be damaging as well. So, so what do you do? You start running a little bit at a time. So when we got up yesterday morning. Yes, Gloria said, I want to run. Eli was up. Oh, but you were still sleeping though, weren't you? You would have run if you'd been awake. Okay, now, never mind. Uh, but anyway, we came up, and, and, and so Eli and Gloria said, let's run. And you know what we did? We ran 3.2 miles, but we ran it in about, I don't know, quarter-mile stretches or half-mile stretches. And we'd stop a little bit, and then we'd go a little bit longer and stop a little bit and go a little bit longer. Doing zero to 3.2 miles is a lot. Doing zero to a whole lot of things. So what I would encourage you to do, I'd encourage you to take this piece of paper, fold it up, put it in your scripture, and if you don't have a Bible reading plan, and you say, this week, what am I going to do? Okay? This week, what am I going to read? So like, give me a great example. Some of you might say, I want a, a good start to be in a successful kind of path, and I don't know where to go. What if you took a book like Ephesians? Or James this week, something that has six chapters or five chapters and said, I'm going to read one chapter a day. And by the end of this week, I'm going to have read through this book. And you mark that off every chapter that you read. And then you go, I got one out of the 66 books done. Oh, this is awesome. That wasn't that bad. And it's almost like you're starting to get a couple of laps in. Okay. Start to make a little bit of progress. And you go, okay. And, and so you maybe start taking off some of these smaller books so that you kind of feel a little momentum, a little success. And then you go, what would I do next? Hey, a great place to do, read one of the Gospels. Start in Mark. It's the shortest one. It doesn't have to be overwhelming. And say, I've read through the entire life of Jesus. What, what I did um, leading up to, uh, I, I'll tell you, the week of Holy Week, what I did, I took the Gospel of John, and I looked and said it's got 21 chapters. So for leading up to Easter, I'm going to read three chapters a day through the Gospel of John. And I decided that on the week before it started. So Sunday was John 1 through 3, Monday's 4 through 6, and just go on. And by, by that time, I'm reading about the resurrection when it comes. I plan my Bible reading either a year at a time and say, here's my plan, or sometimes where I'm at right now specifically, I plan a, a week at a time. I know what tomorrow I'm going to read in my devotional practice because if I don't have a plan, I'm not going to get around to it. But if I set out and say, this is my goal, so I'd encourage you to do If you ever want to read through the entire Bible, you got to start somewhere, okay? you got to start somewhere. It's a big book, 1,189 chapters. What I would encourage you to do, take one of them down tonight or tomorrow. Pick where you want to go. 
get some easy or easy first step wins in your column and then you're going to start seeing progress. And the more that you do this, you start getting through some of these places in Scripture that are more difficult. And you get to some spots and you understand. And then eventually you're going to get to the place where you can understand the entirety of God's Scripture. And you can even rejoice in Leviticus. I promise you it can be done. Okay? You can even find joy in Second Chronicles. I promise you it can be done. And it is worthwhile and so beneficial to be able to work through the Scripture. Just like Ezra said, I'm going to set my heart to do it. Then I'm going to study it. Then I'm going to find a way to apply it, and then I'm going to find somebody I can share it with. It will transform your Bible reading. 1,189 chapters to read about how good God is. It is worth it. And I want to encourage you to just take some steps in that direction this week. So, Father, we thank you for the words of Jesus who said we need to apply the word. But I thank you for the example of Ezra as well who made up his mind to study the word so that he could apply the word and then share it with others. Lord, many of us feel guilty or overwhelmed by the fact that we have not studied the Scripture as we ought to. But at the end of the day, we've just got to start somewhere. And to apply the Word means that we first need to know the Word. And to know the Word means we need to start one chapter at a time, working our way through a book that tells us more about your love. So Lord, I pray for every person here that they would find a good bite-sized portion to start this week or this month to have a plan together. If they've got a plan, that's awesome. And if they don't have a plan to start working through those areas of Scripture that maybe they've never truly studied to be able to understand you better and our place in your story and what you're doing. God, I pray that you would bless each person here as we become students of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Equip Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast and get weekly courses delivered to you. We hope to equip you for the work of the ministry.